Hello, and welcome to Banking Transform, the top podcast in retail banking. I'm your host, Jim Roos, owner and CEO of the Digital Bank Report and co-publisher of the Financial Brand. In this episode of Banking Transform, we had the privilege of speaking with John Budd and Dr. Jorge Jimenez, the CEO and president of Juniper Payments, a PSCU company. The guests provide valuable insights into the evolving payments landscape, discussing the challenges and opportunities surrounding payments modernization and offering advice to financial institution leaders looking to navigate these changes successfully. The episode also provides perspectives on the technologies and trends poised to shape the payments industry's future from delivering instant payments to managing fraud and the potential for alternative payment options. There's a remarkable transformation happening in the payments industry. While there are a myriad of opportunities and challenges facing financial institutions, there are also multiple solution providers providing banks, credit unions, and fintech firms, and even non-financial organizations with the tools to become future ready. The question becomes, what is the value proposition for becoming a payments leader? So gentlemen, before we dig into the challenges and opportunities in payments as we leverage data, technology, and AI for better customer experiences. Can you share a little bit about yourselves, your background, and a bit about Juniper Payments? First, John, why don't we go with you? Yeah, I've, I've been in the industry 20 years. Um, I don't know how far back in time we want to go, but uh, I think it's important to say that I, I, I grew up in a small town in Kansas, farming community, and the company prior to Juniper was founded by some folks in that same small town that happened to be community bankers and, and farmers. Um, and I think we always take pride in, in, in figuring out better ways to do things with the resources that you have at hand. Uh, and I was the, the fourth um, employee at the original company prior, uh, prior to Juniper called LendingTools.com back in 2003. Jorge, how about your background? Well, uh, I've been in payments uh, infrastructure for about 20 years. I, uh, I've been working for the Italian Central Bank, the European Central Bank, the World Bank, and, and, uh, and the Federal Reserve. And uh, so I, I was involved originally when the, when the euro came into being in Europe, and we had to figure out how we're going to handle that mess and uh, how our financial institutions from different parts of the, of the, of the European Union were going to talk to each other. So... And, and here I am, like uh, in Atlanta and working in Kansas. So, you know, world changes. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and even when before the uh, the hybrid work environment, you know, that's the way many organizations were structured. So, Jorge, what are some of the biggest shifts you've seen happen in payments right now as consumers' expectations and technology change, but also over the last five or six years, which is really a, a good snapshot on what the tra- trajectory is right now? Well, I think that the that the uh, the consumers have been used to using solutions such as uh, Bedmo, PayPal, and uh, Zelle, and so on and so forth. And I think there has been some uh, some um, friction of the financial uh, institutions, banks, and credit unions actually catching up with that to a certain degree. And so, in fact, if if, if banks and credit unions wanted to see now the amount of money they are losing to to those kind of uh, uh, providers that they would be very, very surprised. So I think there is without a doubt a, a, a trend uh, in the direction of facilitating uh, instant payments that has originated from the from other countries, starting with Europe and even Latin America and Africa. Um, but it takes us in the United States a little longer because we 
tend not to legislate on these things, but we just kind of try to work on consensus. And for that matter, I've I've met with uh, John. I don't know when when that when that was, but maybe it was probably 2014, 15, something like that. And uh, and at the time, Lending Tools was already uh, in the thick of of working on on instant payments uh, and. Uh, and working in the direction of bringing the whole financial sector into the instant payments world. So it's, it's not an overnight thing. It's been like a matter of years and many years. You know, it's interesting, Jorge, when you talk about payments, you know, I, I go back further than almost both of you combined in the banking industry. And, and it's really interesting because back in the day when I started in banking, payments was a big part of the banking ecosystem. And then they slowly let go of things like POS systems and all the things they used to do with vendors and all the ways they used to transact. And yes, they'd offer card services, but they even gave a lot of that away. And in the meantime, they gave away all that transaction data, all the stuff that now is so important overall. So John, where are we currently in the adoption curve of faster real-time payments capabilities? You know, what's, what's driving the momentum and the implementation curve? I would say we are, in fact, I've, I've said this more than once recently, talking about FedNow and instant payments. As, as Juniper made the, the finish line, if you will, of July 22nd, as, or 20th, July 20th of this year, becoming one of the first certified FedNow service providers along with another, you know, about 55 others. That finish line is really the starting line. We're at, we're, at the, we're at the very inception. Now, let's give the clearinghouse some credit as well. That, that product and that service has been around for, for several years. And even prior to that, you know, the, the Federal Reserve started the, the task force of looking at faster payments in the landscape. And to go back to actually one of Jorge's questions that him and I have some heated conversations about as well, when you, when you look at the adoption curve and what happens in the U.S., and many times we talk about how other countries, even countries that are not that industrialized, are, are ahead of the United States in some aspect. Well, the reason why I think they're ahead is there's a, there was a lack of choices. So, for example, when we look at how M-Pesa and as a way that, you know, it's a mobile phone system has really become the banking infrastructure because there was no banking infrastructure. There weren't brick and mortar banks. There wasn't Internet that everybody had access to. So as a, the, a next best alternative, something else popped up. Um, in Europe, Corey, you'd have to remind me how many total banks there are in the European Union, but there's probably way less than there are in about three counties in Kansas. Right? Oh, no, 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 no. Are we getting... <laughs> but you know what I'm saying is we have 10,000 FIs in the United States. Right. There were 20,000 20 years right. ago. And we don't offer operate off, off mandate. We operate off enhancements to to the rails, to formats, and then those tools now can be adopted by financial institutions. And this most recent one is, is a, I think will be a game changer in the long run. There's some, 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 some big hurdles that we all need to get through um, that are all achievable to get over these particular hurdles. Um, but just by nature of how the United States operates and its free market, um, it tends to be, here's your options. Now, who's, who's going to go after and win it and potentially rise to the top based off of service and pricing and then how we're going to partner with others. So I think there's a, there's a little bit of a difference between where the U.S. is and, and, and others as a result of how many banks and financial institutions we have here, along with how the, 
that the mandates or lack of mandates come down from the Federal Reserve. Well, and, and I would add to that, if I may, uh, is that apart apart from the over 5,000 financial institutions in, in, in Europe that we're not going to get, <laughs> is the fact that, that the United States have uh, a financial system that where even though you don't have mandates, you have a lot of trust. And so uh, in, in like a full faith of credit of the U.S. government, so today you can go to Walmart, pull out a check or to Kroger, to Publix, whatever, and just pay for your groceries and the store will take it. You're never going to be able to pull that off in any other country. Right. And so that, so that, that in itself is, is, is uh, amazing and fantastic, the fact that there is that level of trust in, in the financial system. And so to John's point, there is when you have market economy and, and you have uh, innovation pull forward and, 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 and win, but where it's not just mandated by the government, it, it, things less happen in a different way and at, the, at a different speed. You know, it's interesting. We, we as consumers have become more and more used to instant transfers of money with Venmo, Zelle and others, as well as a lot of things happening almost at the point of uh, the time that we want it to happen across all kinds of transactions. But, you know, when we don't get that, when there's transfers between organizations or when you're trying to pay somebody and it doesn't happen immediately, it's almost disruptive to the consumer. So what unique challenges do community banks and credit unions face in upgrading their capabilities compared to large banks? Yeah, and this is an important one. Um, upgrading the, let's call it the, the interface to the core processing system. And, you know, every financial institution in the United States has a core ledger. Credits, debits, got to even this out at the end of the day. And we've operated in a batch environment for the most part for decades. Now, when we get to consumers relying on instant transactions, I think it's important to note it's the perception that it's real time. So if we all have dinner and then we split it and it's 20 bucks a piece and we're utilizing an app or service provider like Venmo, it may appear that that money has in fact changed hands instantly where it might not settle until the following day or even a couple days. What I do know would settle instantly is if I have cash and I've given you that right. cash, now I'm done. My part of the equation's done, but not as many people carrying cash now. Now, so the, the hurdle that, fi that financial institutions uh, have, um, particularly, you know, the smaller ones, and it's the same with the, with the bigger ones, um, it is upgrading the core processing systems along with the service providers that can act in a real-time environment because the critical component of instant payments is if I'm sending Jim, you money, and both of our institutions are part of this rail, let's say FedNow, then that money needs to be in your account and you can spend it in about 20 seconds, which, which is phenomenal. Good funds. That means it's in your account. And if you were to withdraw it from an ATM, the second you got it, you know, you've, you've you got your funds and you can spend them on whatever you want versus a memo post or something that says it's pending. So that's that's a big change in addition to 24, 7, 365 days a year. You know, right now, banks and core processing systems and, and credit unions can kind of go to sleep at night, if you will, a little bit and, and on the weekends. And that's that's changing. And that's going to have a big impact, positive impact, I think, for consumers. Also, you know, consider the number or types of businesses that aren't open right now on a, on a weekend. I'll use the example of a title company. 
well, if you can't receive a wire on a, on a Saturday or Sunday, there's no reason to really be open on a Saturday or Sunday. That can have an impact. You know, just having this new rail of, available has an impact on businesses like that as well. But I think that's the that's what the financial institutions are working towards and budgeting for as well right now is the upgrade in the in the core process, process processing system, excuse me, along with the service provider that might be providing that uh, that gateway to this particular rail that they need to interact through an API and even potentially an open banking system that Jorge will talk to uh, about later. But it's a it's a significant upgrade in technology. And um, with that done, it's going to even provide future opportunities that we probably haven't even thought of yet. But that's the big one. And, and Jorge, you know, one of the things that's really interesting in, in that in the last several years, um, single third-party solution providers have enabled smaller organizations to do things they weren't able to do before because they either couldn't partner with the big guys or they certainly couldn't build internally. So Juniper Payments plays a crucial role in helping financial institutions adapt to these changes, but also provide instant payments. Can you provide an overview of how your firm helps financial institutions become more future ready? Wow, that's a, that's a loaded question. Uh, <laughs> what I'll say is, is we are... Uh, as as uh, John was talking about, we've been thinking about instant payments, and we've been we've been managing payments for a long, long time now. Just uh, like managing the, the the wire infrastructure, the ACH infrastructure, and now the instant payment infrastructure in the United States for thousands of financial institutions in this country. So now, what we've done is been trying to get ahead of things. We know what's happening. We know what's coming down the pipe. We've been part of the different user groups that, that knew what, what was going to be coming to the United States. And also we've known from other countries what we were to be expecting. So we've been developing things ahead of time. We've been developing things knowing what uh, financial institutions should be looking for. And it's not just purely um, the, the, the P2P account-to-account consumer transactions. Is As you might know, is uh, what are the the potential fraud or risk management uh, tools that you need to be put in place, what kind of uh, artificial intelligence tools might be needed in the near future as you're trying to kind of uh, move from a a batch process to a real-time automated process. So that's kind of things that we've been giving a lot of thought of because, as you very well know, and and as uh, John was just mentioning, uh, we're used to be finding ourselves at 11 p.m. on a Saturday making a credit card payment or to something for our kids' uh, camp or something. Uh, but we're not used to doing this uh, on instant payments, wires, ACH, or anything like that right. at all. And so the question is, as we're changing the paradigm, how is everything changing? I always joke around that that in 2017, when the clearinghouse uh, basically uh, came with, with the real-time payment, the first instant payment systems in the United States, uh, that uh, finally financial institutions realized what an iPhone was. And by that I mean is that for many, many years we have not acknowledged the presence of the internet. We have not acknowledged the presence of 24-7 banking. We have not acknowledged the fact that you can originate transactions on a cell phone. Uh, in, in, a world, in a world where a lot of financial institutions are, stake, are taking instructions at the branch. Right, because they are not allowing for online banking origination. Uh, sorry, online banking origination of transactions. So, what we are going with this is okay. Juniper's been in this game for 20 years. Now we are 
taking like taking things to the next level as being part of the pilot for instant payments and and we realize that a l number of things need to be in place for a financial institution to provide the services they need to provide to their members and customers and that's that's what we do so we hear a lot about payment rails and how they'll bring about changes to the banking landscape or hey can you can you how do you see this playing out <laughs> um so it, it, it's going to be an interesting, uh, there's a lot of different payment rails. And, and so as we were just talking about in instant payments themselves, just, just, just humor me for a second. Uh, even, even like uh, when we're talking about ACH, which not everybody knows is as ACH, automatic clearing house, but they know it as, okay, this is how I get my pay, like my paycheck in my bank account or, or how I, uh, I get my re refunds from the, from the IRS. Right. Right. So, that typically has been, uh, in people's perception, a two or three day process, even though it's a next day process. But the uh, NACHA, the, the, the National ACH Association, has also like, uh, allowed for same day ACH transfers. So this has not just been the Federal Reserve FedNow process or, or the, or the uh, Clearinghouse uh, RTP. There's other other networks. Ourselves, we ourselves have our own 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 we networks for some of those transactions. Other providers have others. So what this becomes, as John was talking about, exponential ubiquity and ability of the services is going to be about combining and and allow me to call it uh, routing transactions by use case rather than by silo. So so you're trying to figure out, hey, I want to do a transaction that is final and irrevocable and as fast as possible. So you have FedNow, RTP, uh, Unifans, uh, FedNow available. What route can I take to get that transaction into place? And and that's that kind of transaction. There might be others where he says, well, I don't care for the final and irrevocable. I just want it to get there as soon as possible. So depending on the, on the specifics of the transaction, because not the whole country is on the new FedNow um, system or because they're not on the clearinghouse system, you're going to have to mix and match a little bit on, on how you're delivering those transactions. And, and, and you need like a provider such as ourselves that is able to understand all the different rails and how to route transactions in the best possible ways in, in the available um, rails for that specific type of transaction. So, so John... Can you discuss a little bit about how automation and cloud technology helps to enable future ready payments? Yeah, I think, well, first of all, we'll start with the cloud technology. So we're, it's a, it's a, it's a powerful sky out there with, <laughs> with the cloud technology, AWS, Microsoft, uh, you know, Azure, but also as service providers, you know, like, like ourselves. I mean, we operate as a, a software right. as a service provider. We host our own private cloud. It, it gives you the ability to, be, ability to be nimble and agile and ensure that all of your end users of that particular product are on the same version, for example. We're not having to rely on micro updates or dealing with desktops or dealing with a particular server sitting at a, a certain location. So that the speed at which you can get to market, the speed at which you can test QA, um, and, uh, and, and get things production ready seem to be much you know, quicker utilizing cloud technology. And it's also, I think the, the fear, I don't know if fear would be the right word, but the, um, the, the, the willingness to adopt it now as it was compared to 15 years ago is, is completely different. I mean, when I was selling some of our initial products 
you know, 20 years ago, trying to get someone on a, on a, a, a banker, for example, a community bank to use email. I'm like, hey, I, I, I don't touch email. I only, if I need to talk to someone, I pick up the phone. And there were still, you know, if you look at kind of the evolution of that, there's still financial institutions that don't originate ACH. They only, they only receive. Um, it is, it helps, the, the cloud technology helps empower, get them to, to market uh, I think in a quicker aspect and then automation, you know, looking at what Jorge was even speaking of the routing of particular transactions. I mean, this is typically done with a, we, I would call it a wire room um, or you've got the, the payments hub sitting at a financial institution, which tends to be people. And, you know, this technology by embedding and creating these algorithms in there that can say, okay, well, let's look what the different options are. If this payment based on the, the amount and when it needs to be delivered, well, I don't need to do a, for example, a Fed wire or a RTP transaction because they don't need it till to tomorrow. And maybe tomorrow is less expensive than today. We'll let the computer figure that out, present the option to the user in an right. automated fashion. And so it streamlines and creates a, a lot of efficiencies in the whole landscape. So it's interesting when we look at the payment solutions, a lot of third-party solution providers are making headway now because they allow the small and medium-sized organization to stay on top of what's going on in the payment space through innovation, best-in-class solutions, best-in-class service, and, and things that really um, outperform traditional providers. So, John, how does Juniper Payments address concerns such as security and staying on top of innovation? in the payment space? Uh, by never sleeping, not, not <laughs> one iota. <laughs> you know, there's a, a phrase many people have probably heard at this point, which is faster payments equals faster fraud. Yeah. And the fraudsters are always, you know, rather than using their abilities for good, it's made many times used for the wrong reasons. So how can we create ways to uh, integrate ourselves, man in the middle, whatever it may be, into instant, instant payments um, with the knowledge that these payments are final and irrevocable. You know, there's a lot of financial institutions. Um, and I think, you know, Jorge, between you and I and kind of our informal studies, I think we've figured maybe one in five FIs in the U.S. allow their end user, so a customer, to get online and, and originate a wire from their online banking platform. One in five, maybe it's one in four, something like along those yep. lines. I know my community bank does it. I've got two or three different relationships and none of those can I originate a wire online. Right. I need to go to the FI or I need to make a call. Within their hours and everything the else. There's, yeah, the reason there's friction in there, intentional friction, and there's also a reason that, you know, the cost of a wire might be 15 to $30, depending on the, uh, the financial institution, is once that is sent, once it leaves the door, it's final and irrevocable. So if it accidentally went to the wrong person and that, that receiver of that money took that money and spent it, they actually didn't break any law. Um, and that's a, that's a scary concept, especially if it's typically those wires were done with uh, high dollar transactions. Now, FedNow and RTP is the same methodology, except I think even less friction is built into it. It's, it's, if you ever look at a wire form, it's a long, potentially complicated template to fill out. With a, an instant payment, 
to put in the, the ABA and you get a thumbs up or a thumbs down, whether a participant, DDA, you know, uh, account number, name, it matches, that money can go. It's not international. Um, there's certain levels of uh, layers and permissions that companies like us will run it through. So we want to make sure to the best of our knowledge, it's going where it's destined to go. Um, making sure that the owner of the account that it's being sent to the beneficiary is actually the owner of that particular account. We want to look at um, anomalies. So to see that, is this something that happens on a monthly basis? And if so, is it usually the same amount? If it is way greater, maybe we need to put a flag on it and say we need some more eyes on it. Um, there's going to be a lot of uh, enhanced technology that needs to operate in real time before the transactions leave the door. So many times today in payments, uh, there's an analysis that happens at the end of the day and says, hey, of all these payments, these you might need to look at again, even though they already already left. And what needs to happen is more preventative technology and Juniper and we're partnering with other companies as well that might risk store that transaction. So before it leaves the financial institution and gets on that instant rail, that high speed yeah. toll, Let's have as much confidence as we can have that that the information is correct and it's going to the to the right place because it's can be next to impossible to get that money back, if you will. So um, a lot of our um, capital R&D is going into fraud uh, compliance and making sure that we can offer a confident product. So it's interesting, Jorge, you know, a lot of what's going on in the payment space is being driven because of the consumer centric expectations that we're all trying to address. We're, we're trying to make it as easy as possible for consumers because they get that in other areas of their life. What are some key customer-centric trends that you've seen in payments that financial institutions really today should prioritize? Well, uh, as, as we're saying, as, as we were just talking about, uh, creating an, an, an easy way to do account-to-account -account transfers, uh, be it P2P or, or, or P2B, uh, or B2B themselves, and I'm going to get to that into a second here, is going to be critical. And because, okay, I, I'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate uh, for a second, uh, as we all talk about Venmo, right? And, and the funny thing is about Venmo is that, in essence, is as if everybody opened an account with uh, Bank of America. And so everybody now has an account with Bank of America. So that's nothing, no, like there's no innovation there other than the fact that you do an internal transfer between that specific financial institution. But what people forget is the friction that is associated with getting the money in and out of Venmo. And there's a lot of, of people who are very frustrated on how that plays out and the costs associated with that and everything else. So creating some P2P, uh, B2B solutions in which you are able to move funds between financial institutions in real time is going to be critical. Uh, I think one of the examples that we see uh, in the use case beyond the pizza, beyond the poker games and everything else is uh, in it, like uh, we see it a lot is if you're a financial institution and you want to do loans and you want to uh, provide funding to, uh, to an auto dealership on the weekend, how do you do that? And uh, so that creating this, this real-time systems um, is it's, it's paramount in that direction. So we just need to, the banking needs to catch up to what is already been happening in the United States with some, some private sector uh, solutions as well as what has been happening in the rest of the world. If financial institutions want to stay relevant, right? And uh, because we we have seen how credit unions have been 
consolidating, even community banks, that the number of financial institutions keeps going down. It, on the one side, associated with uh, the cost of compliance, but on the other side, the trying to make sure that you have solutions that keep you relevant and competitive. And and so that's kind of a, w- one side of that. And yeah. Yeah, I was going to add to that, Jorge, as well, on the customer expectations. So when, when you've been doing what we've been doing for so long, you're going to get calls and texts from family and friends, and they want answers. How does this work? <laughs> Why does it work this way? Or why doesn't it work? <laughs> yeah. I, why doesn't it work? What's going on with inflation? Can you tell me what Jerome Powell's been saying? No, I, I, I don't have that quite access, guys. But but uh, with, with payments, I have a decent idea. But a common one has been, why does it take so long to move money from an account to account? So an external account or an internal account to an external account. So what's driving this? High yield savings accounts. So now you can get 5% on your money. When's the last time we could do that? 10, 15 years ago, if your money is sitting in Venmo for a few days in a wallet, you don't have access to it. All of a sudden, float means something. We haven't heard the term float in a long time because there hasn't been any float or the float has been meaningless when interest rates are zero. Um, And yeah, and my answer has been, especially when you're opening a new account, again, it's it's called smart friction where that that bank or credit union is going to do everything they can before they accept that deposit and con- confirm it that you're not a terrorist, it's not for bad reasons, that everything's are lined up. And it typically takes three to five days right now. And I think that's going to be a very quick use case that will be adopted is moving money between uh, institutions and, and instantly. Well, I my, my personal example and my banking example is that my small business bank and my personal bank are both top six banks and they don't talk to each other. So what do I do? Twice a month, I take this thing and I write a check to myself to be deposited elsewhere. And I thought, well, you know, maybe I'm missing something here. So I go in my uh, financial institution and find out that, yeah, that's the way you have to do it. You have a small business. We don't we don't allow the direct transfers if it's a small business going to a personal account. And, and you know, it, there was one day that I even transferred within the organization. It took a day for the transfer. And I, go, I go, I understood that. Because I'm a banker, so I'm, I know what goes on there as far as what you process first. But the whole the whole yeah. transfer between institutions is is hard to absorb when everything else it is so fast. So, you know, Jorge, we you you we referred to it earlier. Open banking API solutions they're gaining traction. So, how do yeah. Juniper Payments navigate the open banking landscape, and what benefits can financial institutions derive from actually embracing open banking? All right, so I, I will I will throw a little definition at you because it's, I think it's important as people understand it. To a certain degree, it, I feel it's kind of like uh, the, the the second episode of a movie. You know, it's like is is you have the instant payments is the first one and open banking is the second one, right? So we started with with instant payments in two thousand and eight, and then we're starting with open banking in two thousand and eighteen in Europe. And and so what it is is when a when when a service provider it, it gets access to consumer banking transactions and financial data uh, through the use of uh, APIs, uh, application um, application programming interfaces. So, so financial institutions hate this, hate the fact that uh, there is like somebody who has access to their financial information, right. and that's kind of something that is being required again by legislation in Europe. In the United yep. States, not so much is is more by agreement, but. You are seeing that more and more. In fact, that happened the other day. 
to me personally, I was like, all right, I'm a, I'm a, my credit card provider. I need to pay this credit card. Is a, I need to set up a new account where I'm paying from. And uh, so typically, you, you write the name of the financial institution, the routing number, and the account number. End of story, right? And then that gets set up. So what happened this time instead is they wanted to know which financial institution I was going to pay from, what's the user and password for my online banking for that financial institution, and what is my like a, a security code that I just received for that. So it's like that's a different way to set that up. So that's happening now. Uh, another situation where that happens is you might be banking with a financial institution like a bank or credit union, and they say, okay, this is the accounts you have with us. Would you like to add other accounts that you might have at other financial institutions? So you have more of a comprehensive vision on that. And so, yeah, so you enter your user and password for that financial institution online banking provider uh, situation. So all of a sudden now you have the whole visibility of your financial situation at that one specific financial institution. So magic <laughs> but uh, but what's happening is to a certain degree you have fintechs that are helping financial institutions get access to that information yep. because sometimes I'm, I'm not to point fingers but sometimes is is hard to get uh, your core provider to to collaborate if you are a small financial institution and sometimes it's it's easier to uh, pay somebody to break in your own house than it is to have access to the key. Um, so th this solutions such as uh, Plaid, for example, yep. that you might have heard of, uh, are, are, the, are those which are capitalizing on open banking uh, solutions. So we ourselves as, as, as Juniper are, are taking pause and, and, and uh, capitalizing on this type of technology as we're looking to access multiple cores so that as we are, are, are we are in, in a situation where we need to connect to multiple counterparts, we 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 reduce the amount of work we might need to do. So it's it's open banking is something that we that we are also telling ourselves to facilitating uh, bank implementations of instant payments and otherwise. So we're going to ask the net last two questions of both of you. So I'm going to start with you, John. Looking ahead three to five years, I'd even go from now for three years because five years seems to be a long time away. <laughs> what excites you most about the future of payments and banking? Uh, I think in, in three years, my workload might be a little bit less right now. So if we've, okay, that's just personal. That is, but that excites you. <laughs> oh yeah, it sure does. Yeah, absolutely. Um, here's a, per, a personal experience, which is a real life experience, which everyone will have uh, a few times a year or we'll see how it's going to be but i think a good one is whenever you're making or if you're buying or selling something that has let's say decent monetary value maybe a few thousand dollars maybe it's a lawnmower maybe it's a an example i used recently is i, I bought a couple dirt bikes for for my son and i and, and let's say you're buying those from a private seller Right now, if you're buying, you're making a, a private transaction, maybe it's Facebook Marketplace, maybe it's some other, some other site. Before you hand over those keys, you want title. Before you're gonna get title, they need good funds. And right now it's either cash, and I don't recommend people walking around with a briefcase full of cash, or it's a wire, which is the other option right now, or third, a cashier's check. Yep. And I think if you asked any, if I asked any of my younger siblings, by the way, how those work, they wouldn't even have, have any idea how those particular things work. Or what they were in some right cases, now. a cashier's check. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. Right. Um, 
And uh, as an example, you know, one would be if I'm selling something and I'm on my phone and I'm like, all right, you owe me $1,000 for what I just sold you. And I can refresh my phone because I'm in my online banking app at the time. And both of us are, again, a part of that FedNow or RTP rail or both that as soon as I hit fresh, I drag down and my account refreshes, I can see that that money is in my account and it's good for right. And when I say three, now, is that available today? Yes, but in a very limited case because the number of enabled institutions is low. Three years, the likelihood of that happening is gonna be way higher as more adoption has occurred. And I think that's just a refreshing transaction that's gonna be available to, to the market as an example. Or hey. What, do you, what, what excites you about the future? Well, uh, I am excited about the possibility of uh, smaller financial institutions being uh, more competitive by, uh, it, it, by having the instant payments capabilities and, and 24-hour processing capabilities. They're, in essence, becoming uh, a, a big uh, share-branching uh, mammoth that is now able to to connect to every fintech in the world and every fintech in the United States and provide services and move beyond just deposits and loans. And, and I think that, that that needs to be recognized. And that, that, that really um, is, is true, float, interest, and everything that is absolutely what financial institutions do. But I think we all recognize with all the different payment channels and Netflix and this and that, that we all wanna have our life a little easier and I think, and I think the ability for uh, for financial institutions to collaborate with fintechs and and kind of facilitate and use their charter to make things happen and, and create this this amazing uh, countrywide app store of financial services that uh, I think is a very exciting proposition uh, to to create a, a, a healthy and diverse financial infrastructure in this country. You know, it's interesting, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna go one step further. I would just like to see uniformity of experience. So the okay. fact that I could go to one of my financial institutions, I can easily transfer money to the same organization. I can't do it with my primary banking relationship. I, I want to see some uniformity. I want I don't want to have to get surprised by the the adverse situation. Now that maybe makes it so every financial institution feels alike. But there's other ways I wanted to differentiate besides the actual transfer of money and in the value transfer. Um, you know, blockchain allows some of this to happen, but so does the technology that you provide. So um, as a last word, Jorge, you know, one thing I want to find out from both of you is what initial right now advice would you offer to financial institutions as they try to become more future ready? Well, Obviously, as you can imagine, both John and I uh, live and breathe payment yeah. and, and, and payments innovation. So uh, I would say don't take our words for it. Just go into your system and figure out how much of your deposits have moved to Bebmo. And, 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 and so you can see how important this is for you to innovate in, in this direction. So do that. And, and make sure that you that you are given the right strategic importance to the the, the user experience innovation. So that that would be well, a, my advice. That's a great that's a great thing to look at because if you can evaluate the flow of funds, be it from PayPal or Venmo or um, any of the other payment uh, inter interaction devices, 
you really find out how much people are making their own decisions on who to partner with. Uh, John, what, what's your what's your recommendation for financial institutions today? Well, one thing that comes to mind, I don't know if, if, if you remember the movie Say Anything, Jim or John Cusack, there's a guy that kept trying to get the keys and he, he grabbed them. Finally, he was like, so, you know, just, just chill. You just need to chill. The reason I'm saying that, I'm not saying all the bankers and smaller financial institutions need to chill, but there's been a message over the last several years that if you don't adopt this day one, your, your members and your clients might be running for the hills. They're, they're not. They're not. There's there's a lot of education that needs to come from the top down. This isn't necessarily a, a grassroots effort to have faster payments. I think there's always a grassroots effort to have more transparent payment and actually see what's going on behind the curtain. But I would say that certainly now is the time to be planning ahead and budgeting for this type of innovation because it will have some disruption yep. and really talking to the members and the customers that may be coming in or whether it's through some creative online surveys, what would you like to see from our institution? How important, you know, would this payment, if it could clear in this period of time, be to you? They might be surprised on, I didn't even know that didn't happen today. Um, but but additionally, and I and I want to focus this on the smaller financial yep. institutions that, that right now this this innovation causes disruption. When you have disruption, you have new products that float to the top and create opportunity. And I think right now is a great one for smaller community financial institutions to attract small businesses. Yep. And these new payment rails and options are great um, services that can be offered to small businesses. I mean, 95% of all businesses in the US are 50 employees and less. And that's and and a lot of them can't afford sophisticated cash management right. tools or or access to the online banking system or to the Federal Reserve in a in a cost effective way. And I think that's changing. And so I don't want to lose sight of the community financial institutions remembering to to serve those small businesses in their their local towns as well. And this is going to help, gentlemen. Thank you so much for being on the show today. You know, it's it's interesting, John. You mentioned that don't think the sky is falling if you don't implement right away. But on the other hand, you know, be willing to embrace the change that's happening. For me, at least, in going around the industry, it is interesting how many smaller institutions have embraced real-time payments more than the bigger ones. Um, the, the, the ability to embrace change, to look at things differently, to, to realize where, as it was said to last week, I was up in Toronto, they said, go where the fuck is going as opposed to where it is. It, Wayne Gretzky termed to, I might've botched it up a little bit, but the reality is it, it, this is an area you can do that. And what's really nice is we have third party solution providers such as Juniper that can help them get there. And you specialize in this area to such a degree that organizations don't have to relearn 80% of what's going on out there. They can find a partner that's going to get them there. So again, gentlemen, Jorge, John, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Banking Transform, the winner of three international awards for podcast excellence. We appreciate the support we've received to make this endeavor a success. If you enjoy what we're doing, please take some time to show some love in the form of a review or simply a thumbs up. Finally, be sure to catch my recent articles on the financial brand and check out the research we're doing for the Digital Bank Report. 
This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to our senior producer, Leah Haslidge, audio engineer, Chris Fafalius, and video producer, Will Pritz. If you're not already done so, please remember to subscribe to Banking Transform on both your favorite podcast app and YouTube for more thought-provoking discussions on the intersection of finance, technology, and leadership. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.